Hi, I'm Sam Smeltzer, and I'm an HR healer, and you're listening to The Heart of It podcast, where we chat about what's at the heart and matters most in the world of HR, the people. In this episode, we are continuing our very special book club series, and um, yeah, you're going to hop right in with our next conversation on the book, The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. So I'm going to stop chit-chatting, enjoy the convo, let's do this. Welcome back, everybody. We are concluding our conversations on the Infinite Game tonight by Sim- by Simon Sinek. I mean, I know the one thing that I thought when I was reading these last pages, um, Liza kind of kind of uh, really honed in on this point last week about that Simon's very clear about consequences for having this infinite mindset, and he really kind of. <laughs> went there here at the end of this, um, which I think um, was what I needed to hear. So I I think last week where I was, um, I was perfectly timed for the closing of Simon Sinek's comments to kind of let me hear what I need to know for embracing this infinite mindset. And what about any of you, or even Karen, because I know Karen, you weren't able to join us last week. So I don't know if you have a long running list here. Yeah, you know, I, one of the things I, that struck me, struck me for at least the closing is the book is really focused on the organization and, and how all of this kind of works in an organization or in a business. But I think the reminder, and I I felt this very much in the first, um, the first section that we wrote, which, or read, which is it's really about self, right? And like taking the time and it's a, it's a journey that you're going to take for the rest of your life to make sure that you are, you have to work on yourself in order to find that courage and be comfortable with the fact that it's going to be really uncomfortable and hard. And, um, the timing of this book, um, in my life personally was really good. So I think it, it was a great way to remind myself, to constantly take steps to think not just about the next step, but what are the, you know, the, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth step, even if I'm not involved in that step. And that's very, I think it's very counter to the, to the society that we've been conditioned to live in. Right. So it's, it's constant practice. Um, and so that, that, that piece about courage and practice were words that I, I thought about a lot in the past couple of weeks. You know, it reminds me of a saying that it is no measure of um, health to be viewed as well-adjusted to a sick society. I don't know if you've ever heard that, uh, you know, statement before, but, you know, that's what kind of comes up for me when I see, you know, his articulation. He used courage, I don't know how many times in this courage to lead chapter, uh, and that resonates with me. Um, many, many years ago when I was leading a group, um, uh, leading an organization from an HR standpoint, um, as a part of our continuous learning committee efforts, we chose a book and we did a book club and um, we did the book, The One Thing. And so to articulate that one thing, what each of us did was we brought in a stone 
And so we would paint that stone with the word of our one thing that we were going to focus on. And my word was courage at that time. And a lot of people thought, well, Ryan, I don't know how you need courage. You know, it seems like you have courage to do anything that you want. But what they didn't realize are the struggles that I was dealing with in terms of the pushback from senior leadership, in terms of how they viewed work and how I viewed work. And it was courage just to show up some days at work and work in that toxic environment. Um, and I think he puts it really well. Courage as it relates to, to leading with an infinite mindset is the willingness to completely change your perception of how the world works. And so I think right now I have a perception of how the world works that seems vastly different than what is being portrayed in the mainstream media of how the world works. And that's something I'm, I'm typically not too quiet about amongst my friends. Um, you know, amongst others, I may, I may be a little more reserved in that conversation. Um, there are some things that are going on right now where I have to really look at my values and how that's showing up in terms of how I interact with clients. Um, that's gonna be a very interesting experience. I, I have a meeting on Friday that I'm kind of dreading as a result of that. Um, but uh, you know, we'll get through it and we'll, we'll get there. But I think this word of courage is something that we need to make sure that people are double downing on that and supported and not isolated in their efforts of courage, but surrounded by like-minded people that can be of support. I, I feel fortunate that I have that network. Mm -hmm. hmm. I know one thing that, and I, and I had mentioned this in an earlier conversation, and it just so happens because I teach this class and then I come and do this, this debrief with you, but Today, um, you know, I'm teaching a basic HR management class. We're talking about recruitment. We're talking about very basic things like how to hire people. Um, and, you know, I've come through all kinds of textbooks and uh, I recognize that the way that I view the world of HR is not the common way that others view HR and the academics who have written these textbooks that I'm picking from. And so I just, you know, we're talking about recruitment and selection and and the words that they are just so focused on making sure that your system is reliable and valid and and there was these terms about like identifying patterns that generate consistent results and i was like this is like so safe and so finite and like this entire system yes. and structure is what limits these organizations at at the beginning and i think this speaks a testament to this book because i just think about things differently. And that's, that's professionally. And then the other piece here, you know, yeah, if I can get personal for a moment. One of the things that um, I really struggled with, uh, when I moved, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I was transplanted to York PA when I was 16. Um, and I don't know why I thought that life out in California would pause, uh, that all of my childhood friends, like everyone would feel this massive loss of Sam, because I I had hyped myself that much uh, as a teenager. Um, and when I went back after high school and realized that these people had carried on with their lives and I actually had lived in the past, I, I took it and internalized it that I, that meant that I was nothing. And I really had to unpack that. And I'm still unpacking that. 
And, you know, this book concludes where he lays this out there and says, you know, we come and go, we're born and we die and life still continues with us or without us. And I think you, when I think back to those days, I would really be in a place where I'm like, yeah, that's true. Like, why does anything matter? Um, and this infinite mindset, this idea that we're putting things in motion that we might not see in our lifetime, but the hope that things change three lifetimes from now, that my children might have a workplace where they can thrive and be accepted for who they are, regardless of color of skin, regardless of learning disability, you know, regardless of dreams, you know, if I want to be, if they want to be the president, if she wants to be a rocket scientist, you know, whatever, you know, regardless of gender, all of these things that we're still talking about years and years later. And I think that's one of the things that keeps me yeah. in HR is just that we have not seen any legit change. Um, but I think this, you know, and we've talked about this, it's this monumental, like, how do we achieve this? But knowing that we are, as long as we keep it at our forefront and we do things like what we're doing now, like all of us pushing each other, growing, talking, connecting, and knowing that we're not alone in the way that yeah. we think. And, and Sam, if I could just comment in terms of what you're seeing in the HR literature and the journals and the education and the academia, so much of it is system driven, like you had mentioned. And so what we have all too often that I see is the tail wagging the dog. I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not, but you know, we have, you, know, you go in and you say, you know, can I get this form in order to complete this process? And the guy, and the form might be sitting right on their desk, but rather than hand it to you, they're saying, well, you have to email us and then you have to copy this person. And then you have to go through this process can't you just hand me the damn form? It's right in front of you. No, no, no. We've got to do what the system says. And, uh, you know, where we can't think beyond the system, we have really kowtowed to the system. And so now we have the tail wagging the dog. Instead of the system working for us, we're working for the system. And I see that all too often. And that's antithetical to human resources, to humanity at large. And so when you ask people, what do you want out of your work experience? They start to talk about the values that make us human. But then when they talk about, well, what do you experience at work? We start to talk about all these systems and, and you know, trying to get that next goal or trying to get the next quarterly marks. They don't cohere. So we have a clear lack of coherence between who we are and what we're trying to do on a regular basis. Why? Because I firmly believe we have put doing ahead of being. I honestly believe we need to have being precede all of our doing. And so that being is, who do we want to be? What's our vision? What's our mission? What are our core values? How are we going to interact with one another? Let's decide that up front before we lift a single pencil. Why would we? do those things because you're going to be, it's like a shotgun blast. You're going to be shattered all over the place instead of being laser targeted focus on the direction that we need to be going because we haven't decided those things up front. I was having this conversation today with a group um, for a training course. And all too often, that's, it's been my experience that when you take more time up front 
to plan out a project, when you're doing project management, the more time you plan that out and consider what are all the roles and goals and what are all the resources you need and what is the budget and what is the scope and what is the schedule, all those kinds of things, that project is going to flow so much smoother as a result of that pre-planning. Whereas what we're doing or what we're experiencing at work is we're going to go do this project and then we're going to start doing all this activity and then, oh yeah, by the way, we need to do this. Oh yeah, by the way, we need to do that. And now the project has taken on a new life of its own. It takes five times longer than we ever expected. It's five times more expensive than we ever expected because we did not do our due diligence right up front to frame our doing with how we wanted to be first. Yeah. And it sounds like what you're talking about is I think what Simon Sinek was talking about. And I can't remember on what page, but he was talking about where our trust is put in the system. Yeah. And Sam, I wanted to just add on to what you were talking about moving from Los Angeles and yeah. just having sort of that, that, that feeling, that emptiness and, and, um, not feeling as if, you know, you had an impact, but the fact of the matter is, you know, you left a lot of ripples and what we're doing now is also going to start a lot of ripples and those ripples, you're absolutely right. We're not going to see the full effect. We're not going to see the final product if there will ever be a final product. Maybe the final product product is the journey, is the process of it, of learning, of becoming. But what I was going to say is that is, in my mind, the definition of living forever is to know that you simply created those ripples. Mm. Mm. That's beautiful, Liza. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, sure is. Ben, you've been quiet. <laughs> it's also a grateful, great song by the Grateful Dead. Ripple. Ripple. A lot of this, like what, when it goes on to like the courage and just like having the infinite mindset is it only takes one person in organization or a person's life to create a, a great environment and adding value to an organization or a person's life like this book club it can add value to someone's someone's life basically helping them become a better professional be a better person and overall have a better infinite mindset where a lot of like following a set structure for certain papers it's not always being smart about stuff and you need to work, work smarter and not harder and being courageous about stuff is not just being like, oh, well, we need to step up and do more for this certain organization. It's basically just saying, hey, this process is not working. Let's try to fix it and come up with new ideas and just be a person where change doesn't have to happen immediately, but you can do it over time and have people adapt, your, adapt to ideas and just thinking about others, not just, oh, what's my bottom line versus what, what bottom line can, what can we do to be better for it? the environment or creating a more safer space for people to come into work or come into class. You know, Ben, as you're talking, thinking about what, um, Liza said, connecting it to Simon Sinek, talking about the problem being with trusting that we trust the systems, you know, to be, kind of summarize where Ryan was going on his 
beautiful pan passionate tan passionate uh i don't know it's not a tangent it's a... there you go thank you i was like it's not a tangent rant? it's a yeah <laughs> a expressive expression of passion sorry um, I tend but, to rant. uh you know but it's what ben's talking about is you know through those through those interactions we build trust with people and trust becomes the bridge for people to maybe get enough courage to let go of the system and start to believe um that something else is possible i mean the conversation that i literally just had would not have gone that way two years ago with this individual it's only because of the trust that i built on pretty conservative things so you know i didn't stick my infinite mindset out there, but it made it so that when this window of opportunity showed up where we really needed to have a powerful ripple and make an impact on an individual, that they were willing to listen and not just go down to what the system is. And I was concerned because uh, this was dealing with employee wellness that the the traditional mindset is we're going to call EAP. There's these certain people that um, know the solutions. And if those don't work, then it's just their fault. Um, and that's I'm, I have many feelings about that, but um, to be able to talk about how we play as a workplace, a place in that wellness um, and are actually triggering some of the things that are happening and whether if you don't change the workplace, then it's never going to stop. Uh, and if you change out that person, guess what? It happens to the next person. Um, they're just kind of a ticking time bomb until it starts to sink in and they become what the previous person was. Um, but yeah, I really think it's those—it's that trust and it's our ability to show up every day, be present and stay true to our values, stay true to our ethics, pick and choose our battles strategically so that we can find those unique opportunities to bridge with that trust, to help send ripples that are even more powerful that hopefully will manifest into something. Maybe not with that leader, but maybe when that leader tells their children or an intern, and then that intern, when they're the CEO, uh, views things from an infinite mindset. I mean, I literally told my HR class today, I firmly believe that if we don't change the work environment, the way that we do work, you're never going to work for any of our organizations. You're all going to start your own organizations, and I'm going to be in your office begging you for a job, and hopefully I meet all of your marks of what you're trying to build so I hope that I'm doing a good job today. Um, but I do think that we are seeing those those ripples getting a little more aggressive uh, and demanding in a way that is positive. Well, to that point, Sam, we are starting to see a growing gig economy beyond wild expectations. For the longest time, it used to be about 30% of the total population worked in a contractual basis. That has now eclipsed 40% and growing higher. What's it mean when almost 50% of the total workforce want to work independently and not for an organization? Could there be a problem with these large institutions? Yeah, I actually, I, I had that same thought when he referenced millennials and, and Gen Zers in this last, um, in this last chapter, because I think you're right, right? There, there's less of a tolerance for that um, and, you know, I, I have thoughts about, I, I mean, yes, I think it's really important to go out and, and, and work in an environment, um, where you have less constraint, but I also feel like 
it's important to also find people who are like-minded who change ori like original organizations to be different, right? Because the reality is, is that we, we can't all function kind of independently in our own gig economies by ourselves. Um, but this idea that it takes a couple of us in an organization to, you know, kind of ripple and say, hey, have you read this? Have you thought about doing this? You know, um, and yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I, I, I thought about that point, Ryan, actually, when I read that part, I thought, oh, that's really interesting. We're seeing a big shift about, you know, people kind of moving mm -hmm. on to their own um, independent pieces. The I, I One thing that you said, Sam, that's actually struck with me um, in, a, in a couple of different things that have been going on personally in my life is, you know, he talks, he has talked a lot about risk. Um, and he's, he talks a lot about courage. I think they're very intertwined. Um, and this idea that we're putting relationships and people first, I think we had this conversation as a group um, a couple of episodes ago, which is, it's, it's very counter to kind of the work structure, right? We're so, I think it's kind of that, that soft skill versus that the compliance piece, right? I mean, there's an HR department and you go this way and there's a chain of command and you're supposed to follow that. But I think it takes a lot of risk to think outside of those traditional structures and to connect with employees as people. Um, and, and it takes courage, right? And so I've been thinking a lot about what are some of my own barriers to kind of jumping into the pool sometimes. And you know, I think this goes back to internal work and, and thinking, what are the things that scare me, <laughs> right? Um, and, and um, you know, I, I gave this example um, a couple of weeks ago at a different forum. I have, I have an actual averse reaction to losing relationships, right? So I've had very, um, I've had a lot of a loss in my life. And so I tend to be very averse to situations where someone might discount, you know, not want to work with me or don't like my ideas. So I tend to be a people pleaser. And, and this was a really oh. great way for me to say, well, th that's actually completely against my values, but I understand yeah. why it's something that I do, which then I think connected me back to this idea of practice. And then I'm going to just totally full circle it for you, Ryan. Um, I write myself a word every year at the beginning of the year, and my word this year was practice because I need to be doing a lot of, there's a lot of practice in my life. And so um, it just kind of all connected for me, right? Like I, I finished this book and I was like, there's so much practice, <laughs> right? Like this is day-to-day -day practice. So I just felt like a lot of things um, just came together for me this week, finishing this book. There um, is, well, two things that made me think uh, when you're talking, Karen, there's literally an episode that just came out on the podcast this week. Um, so those of you that are listening, you'll have to go back into the archives. It's episode nine for season two. And it was these two ladies that are talking about this concept of integrating play into the work environment. So the first thing is one of them used this quote and said that practice doesn't make perfection. Practice makes permanence. Um, which I thought was really powerful. Like the consistency piece is what's important. But the other thing is, is they throw out these games to play in the corporate environment. Um, 
And they do this one about this idea of wandering, wandering and wondering in the workplace. So they said, when you can get back to the workplace, wander around and look for something random in an office space and then ask a question about it. Like if you see a flamingo in the corner or, or you can even do it on Zoom. But then um, the one girl, uh, the one girl, the one woman said, um, I would love it if my CEO came over and was like, hey, hey, Jessica, do you know where unicorns come from? And I thought, would I? Like, I'm pretty playful, but I don't know if I would be able to just walk into a CEO's office and be like, hey, hey, Ryan, do you know where unicorns come from? <laughs> um, and like, and it's a total relationship builder. And I would do it at home. Like I would, you know, people that I probably spend just as much time with, I would... I would easily go up to my husband and say, do you know where unicorns come from? <laughs> and he probably would say something back or my children would say something back. But I think, you know, why is that different in the workplace? Like, why can't that be okay? Why is that going to possibly be a ding against me? Cause like that wasn't professional. Um, and I think I said this last week, I talked about how I um, shared something in a, um, in a corporate meeting early on in my career and it haunted me. I didn't say what it was, but I, I was, I guess, a slim unprofessional, but um, I made a comment that was playful in nature because it just so happens that this guy like had a history of being a DJ. And so I did like the old school Night in the Roxbury. This is a really old uh, movie, but these guys were in the car and they would be like, oomph, 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 like with their head to the side. So I did that in this meeting and I was like this because I was trying to like the whole thing was like a complete joke, like the resume did not make any sense. The behaviors of this gentleman didn't make any sense. And yet you're all sitting here saying he is the next leader of this organization. Um, but I think it made a lasting impression. But I'm like, why should I have to change? Like, when I look back on that conversation, that is how Sam talks. Like, if you're talking to me about any other scenario, I would probably have those things. Karen knows me from other interactions, and that's how I talk. Like, <laughs> that's how Sam talks in strategic meetings, um, and that's how I build relationships with people. But here was a, a conversation where people didn't like the feedback, and then they used it to kind of, they used it against me. Um, where, I mean, on the flip side, I made a very lasting impact on the COO, who is still one of my mentors to this day, which I think is fascinating. So it created a relationship and then hurt others. Um, and so I think that's, you know, we're kind of walking on this tightrope of both ways. Like, how do we build relationships? Yeah. How do we change what that relationship and that humanity looks like in the workplace? But then how do we also maintain our credibility so that we can still have an impact um, with yeah. still being in, in integrity with our values, which I think, Ryan, you were kind of hinting at a little bit earlier. Well, yeah. And I think a sense of humor is a very important thing. I mean, imagine what our workplace would look like if we actually sat down and charted out all the things that make a healthy person and then started using that as our dictates about how we build out the organization. It would look extremely different than what it does today. Right now, we have our systems guiding all of that, not the person guiding all of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we have it inverted. I think we have it completely backwards. And it's going to take time for people to really see that because of long-held conditioning, 
like with so many other things that are going on in the world right now. It's a lot of conditioning. It's a lot of mental framework. And we have to tease that back out to question those things. Well, the first and foremost thing is, are we allowed to question things? That's, that's an issue in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a similar story about how I was trying to be jovial um, very early on in my career. And I learned as a young um, person, I can't be too cheeky because then they judge me based on that and they don't take me seriously. Um, So the example was I was working um, on a project and uh, it was you know, I had to get all these kind of reports. It reminds me of office space. I had to generate all these TPS reports. I don't know. It was something along those lines. But in any case, I sent out a uh, group email to the team that I was working with, and it was right around Martin Luther King uh, Day. And so with his famous speech, I have a dream, and I said, you know, let off the email to say something along the lines of, you know, in honor of the great Martin Luther King who had a dream, I too have a dream, and that is to get all these reports done. You know, how are we doing on this project? And so nine out of the 10 people that were on the, the group email laughed and said, oh, that was a good one, yeah, 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 you know, it was just super, super silly. I had one person who said, I am deeply offended by that email. And I'm like, what? what? What did I say? I didn't even know what I said wrong, you know. And But in this person's uh, mind, I was downplaying the impact of Martin Luther King by saying, I, too, have a dream that these reports get done. Um, so that was a hard lesson learned. Um, and, you know, to this day, do, would I still do that? Would I change my behavior? I would think about it twice before doing that. I would definitely think about it twice, especially putting it in email instead of verbalizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. But to that point about being a little, you know, relaxed, a little jovial, can we make that safe again? Mm-hmm. My gosh, why does life have to be so damn serious? Why does work have to be the drudgery it's defined in the dictionary? Mm-hmm. I don't think it has to be. And that, that's a part of my core just cause is to make life fulfilling or make work fulfilling, not drudgery, not just because we have to afford our way of living. Going off this conversation, a lot of it is knowing your audience and like trying to communicate with higher level management or C-suite position. You need to make sure that if you know the people, talk to them in a way that is professional, but in a way that they can get it across an understanding where if you are in like a position like I am a younger professional, I just can't go in there guns a blazing with a bunch of jokes because they'll think, ah, that kid's stupid. He doesn't know what he's talking about, even though I might, or how people perceive it where I could understand something that some people might not. And they might think, oh, this kid's trying to do too much with his young skills. Pretty much it's a lot like if you don't know how you're talking to people and if you're in an organization where people don't want to make it an inclusive place, it's not going to get a lot of change. It just takes that one person who is open to listening to new ideas and trying to implement something that might seem outside the box to someone like a, a person who's into data. But if you can make it where you can include data or make it where you include stuff that people would want to hear – a lot of a lot of it will go with the flow and people will accept ideas so pretty much just takes people to understand your audience and people to understand like how you think as a person 
Well, and I think that also ben begs the question of where's the line between being authentic and going along to get along? I think that's the bigger issue that most of us struggle with. I personally, you know, still struggle with that depending on the environment that I'm in is to what extent am I really going to speak up? Because I feel like for most of my life, um, that's been quelched, um, that I haven't worked at or lived in an environment where it was safe for me to speak up on a variety of issues. And consequently, I swallowed a lot of that um, kind of stuff and then questioned myself as a result of it. So, I, you know, I think that we, once again, I go back to what is a healthy environment for people as humans let that be our dictates. Let that be our guide, not the system, not the, the you know, watching the weenus, uh, if anybody's ever seen that Friends episode, um, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, you know, Ben, I think your, your comment's really interesting because I... I, I would love to also work in a place where the CEO and... I mean, everyone uses this, right? The CEO and the janitor, the CEO and the direct service worker interact in the same way that the CEO and the CFO interact as the as the direct service staff interact, right? And I mean, yes, absolutely, right? I think we have to watch our tone in certain settings if we're doing a presentation, things like that. But to to get back to the environment or the culture, at least for me, that you know, I, I want to support a culture where everyone can feel free to speak the way that they want to speak, obviously in a respectful way, regardless of level, right? Regardless of position, because at the end of the day, we're interacting as humans, we're interacting as, as individuals. Um, but, you know, Ryan, I, I also completely agree with your statement, which is I have also sat in many situations where I've, I've said, well, it sounds like this is not going the way that in my mind, I, I think it should go, but I'm going to be really quiet because I'm not sure that my opinion is going to be well received. Right. So I, I think, I think it's that, that tightrope that everyone's trying to walk very carefully. <laughs> Well, and, and from a leadership standpoint, those are the kinds of things I grapple with on a regular basis, because is your approach empowering people to be more authentically themselves, or is it shutting people down to be a, what they want them to be? And you talk about being a people pleaser. I rec I'm a people pleaser. I've recognized that you know throughout my life. And the, the issue associated with that is we continue to compromise ourselves. Um, as a result of trying to please others. And so do you think that's going to ultimately come out in some kind of way for us behaviorally, psycho psychologically? You bet it is. And so what is the cost of, of compromising ourselves? Well, you extrapolate that out to an entire organization. What is the cost of compromising your employees to say, stay within this box? You know, we keep being told not to step outside the box or think outside the box. And then once you try to do that, they're like, no, no, not like that. Not like that. Well, guess what? No one's ever going to speak yeah, up again. This, it kind of brings to mind, um, I just went through, it took a, a six-month course on marketing. And authenticity in marketing was really a recurring theme. And again, here you had a situation where you don't want to be turning any customers away, certainly, but you're, 
not going to grow. You're not going to truly have the impact you want to be able to have unless you are able to be authentic. And alongside that simply comes the loss of certain customers, which you're also going to appeal to and find your ideal customer. And that's, for me, been very difficult to do. So I, I totally get that from where, from a different perspective. Um, just that, and I'm totally a people pleaser. Um, and one thing that has helped is a certain phrase, instead of counteracting or, or disagreeing, because I'm not very good at that. And when I do do that, it tends to come off a little harshly because it takes a lot of effort to say those words. So they come out a little forcefully. Um, <laughs> but I have learned to say, hmm, I'm not sure how I feel about that. Let me think on that. It's a way of disagreeing. And then there's also not much that they can come back to you with and, and you can find a better way. But um, in any case, it, it's interesting because on page 200, the whole time that I'm reading this book, um, I'm thinking that this, this is a unique person. This is a unique person. So how do you find this person who's interested in creating this, this new atmosphere? And then there it is on page 200 where Simon Sinek basically says, you know, you, you either need to have a life-altering experience that shakes you to your core or you've really found that just cause and and nothing you, you're just going to keep going full force until you can get it so which to me says that it's it's in your blood so either you're born with it and it's simply part of your innate personality or something has happened so for for finding the right kind of people or to for finding your tribe, essentially, it, it's a matter of learning how to sense how deep someone's well is. And um, it, it's not that hard to have deep conversations with people right off the bat. It's not that difficult, but it's what's behind that initial, quote, deep, unquote, conversation. Um, that you really begin to see how, how, what's there and what you have to work with. And then it's a process. Like you said, Sam, you can't just come right out and, uh, you know, say infinite, talk about infinite mindset. Uh, but if you change the, the um, lingo, maybe talking about short-term goals, well, uh, what would the long-term goal be? And then you could or what I would do is ask, you know, for your career, how long you plan on being here. And that'll tell you kind of how, what kind of short-term or long-term <laughs> decisions they're making. Things like that um, help me to maneuver my way around. Um, but it is very hard to find people who have had uh, life-altering life moments, um, the kind that allow them to commit to other humans to a just cause. Yeah. <laughs> Liza, I love that you shared that phrase. Mm -hmm. Mine is, hmm, that's interesting. 
Because <laughs> <laughs> I do, I have a tendency too. If something really is, I have to, because otherwise it comes out like almost like a, I don't know. It feels like a toddler tantrum, even though I've been told it doesn't sound like that when it's delivered, but it just feels like this explosion. Um, and so I can calm it a little bit by disagreeing with my, hmm, that's interesting. And, and the tone kind of invites if they want to have further discussion or it at least shuts it down. I guess most people get the point that I don't agree with what they're saying. <laughs> so now you got me thinking as to whether or not I've ever heard you say that to me, Sam. <laughs> and I actually say it our entire conversation. <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah. And, and Liza, I mean, you know, your whole point about, you know, being a small business owner, being authentic in your brand. I mean, a hundred percent, I am going through that right now, rebranding and wholeheartedly being authentic. Cause I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't say yes to all the business that was coming in, which is hard. Cause you're grateful that people want to work with you. And as a small business owner, it's money, but at the same time, I was finding that I was just doing what I was doing in the corporate space. And I don't want to be part of that. I want to be part of the change and I could be, um, and really starting to focus on those highlight moments, but it's hard and it's scary. And I'll be brutally honest this morning. I think I was just at a point I was releasing in tears because it's, it's terrifying. Like I'm probably a month out from officially launching my rebrand. Um, and I was just at the office and I'm like, it's, it's too much. Like it's too much. It's a lot of risk. It's a lot of courage. And it's, and I've been going, this book has been very perfect for me going through strategizing the rebrand and kind of affirming me and nudging me forward. Cause I would like to think I'm an infinite mindset, but I don't think I'm quite there. And Karen, you've shared that in previous episodes that it's like, you're there and then you're not there and then you're there and then you're not there. Um, and that's kind of where, I've been at, I want to be there, but it, I mean, yeah, it'd be to be authentic and put it out there and be prepared for whatever's going to come at you. Um, this, it, and, and to be prepared for all the finite mindsets, which is the majority of businesses and organizations, which happens to be where, where our focus is. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like I'm preparing to do battle in a really positive way. <laughs> Yeah. If that's well, possible. <laughs> to that point, Sam, you know, Simon also reminded us at the very end that we're not going to be able to do these things alone. We've got to be surrounded like like by like-minded people. And right now I see that there's an effort to be surrounded by like-minded people more than anything out ever before. Um, there's there's safety in those numbers, there's security in those numbers. And when you're projected this false world and you question that false world, it's like, it's nice to be around people that see what you see. So to that point, Sam, lean on the, your partners and your friends and your colleagues that are out there that have a hundred percent support behind you or backing you. So, um, you know, you're not in, a, in, a, in it alone, Sam, we know that. Yeah. And I know, yeah, I know that. It's weird. They always talk about small business. It's like you're on an island but not on an island, but you feel like that sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's like you're on an island with all these other little islands nearby and you got to get in your rowboat and row over and be like, hey, or start a fire to be like, somebody come over here and help me out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's interesting. Well, 
Um, I guess it's that time for us to kind of do our round robin. I know I've, I kind of, I've been pouring out a lot here. So I think it's, it's safe to say for me, this book, I think is a definite read. I honestly believe that it's going to be a huge primer for us as we continue unpacking the other books that are going to add different kinds of knowledge area concepts. And I'm really excited to see how we take something like this and how it morphs our perspectives as we add to our bucket, as we unpack the other three. Um, but I guess we'll do closing comments on the infinite game. Uh, is there someone who wants to go first? Um, I'll go first. Mine's very short, actually in the afterward. Um, Simon simply says to, to live out our lives with an infinite mindset is to live a life of service. And, uh, and that sort of really summed it up. Ben, you want to go? I would just say this is a definite read if you're just trying to just trying to be develop yourself more as a professional and just trying to understand things that you might be going through even as a young professional this is probably one of the best books you can read because it gives you different mindsets of successful businesses and how to be more successful as a business a business person and as a person overall so if anyone is just trying to figure out how to have professional development great book to start out with cool Karen? Yeah. Um, so again, I would absolutely recommend this book. I think for me, um, it touches on, again, I, I think this has been my trend, but it touches on um, these concepts, um, not just in the workplace, but kind of how we can apply them um, throughout our life. And um, again, kind of this connection back to human interaction and, and the human um, need to kind of work together. Um, so I would absolutely recommend it. I have also already shared tidbits. Um, I share tidbits on this every time I read it and the conversations that stem off of that are just so enlightening and they leave me with hours and hours of things to think about. So I think you could read this book over and over and get different things out of it. That's awesome. Ryan. Yeah. And I'll just sum summarize, um, by reading a quote and then kind of expounding upon it, the common factor in all the struggles and setbacks that finite leaders face is their own finite thinking. To admit that takes courage. To work to open one's mind to a new worldview takes even more courage. And it just reminds me that no change exists outside of us. It only occurs within us. And I think keeping that focus of our internal growth and our internal perspective and adopting that finite mindset when we start getting caught up in the allure and the illusion of this finite game that calls to us to continuously compromise our values and our convictions and our just causes, can we have the courage to do what we know to be in the best interest of humanity and ourselves in the long run? I think that's a challenge incumbent upon every one of us. And so I, I think it's apt to use the word courage and continue to invest in that for yourself and those around you. Wonderful. So I think uh, you heard it time and time again. We highly recommend The Infinite Game. If you listen to any of the episodes, I think you'll know that it definitely challenged all of us in different ways throughout the weeks. Um, and we are now moving on to our book number two in our summer book club series. And that will be Courageous Cultures by Karen Hurt and David Dye. So thank you so much for listening this week. We will talk to you next week. 
Locally Seasoned offers gourmet pantry items for your life. Celebrate every day effortlessly with condiments inspired by the stories, people, and cultures behind them. Like zesty cranberry ginger chutney, the perfect accompaniment to your cheese board. Smear it on a sandwich or grilled cheese, amazing alongside meats and roasted vegetables, and it's your secret ingredient to luscious dips and glazes. Check out LocallySeasoned.net and follow the journey on social media. After all, life is worth tasting. Locally Seasoned, food for your journey.